Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today, my guest is Maddie McFadden. Maddie is the daughter of Heather Payne, who you might remember from episode 13, which came out July 6th, talking about raising her kids in the aftermath of her husband's death from cancer. So I'm feeling very lucky to now talk to Maddie to learn about her perspective on the same events. Maddie's 18 and her father, Brad, died in 2019 when she was just 14. So she's the first actual teenager to talk to me about what it's like to lose a parent today, as opposed to 30, or in my case, 40 plus years ago. So hi, Maddie, and welcome to the podcast. Hi. (laughs) So I'm curious what it was like for you to hear your mom talk about what happened with your family and um, in that episode, like, was there anything she said that you didn't already know or anything that surprised you in our conversation? Not necessarily. I mean, within our family, we talk about it pretty frequently, mm-hmm. like casual dinners. will just like bring it up. It'll usually start with a joke. And so I feel like I kind of know a lot of her perspective on how she felt about it. Um, so no, I wasn't, like, super, like, surprised with her answers. I was just kind of, like, more proud of her for, like, fully, like, laying it all out. Mm. I feel like mm-hmm. we're all, like, pretty open about yeah. it. Like, I'm definitely, like, I never try to hide anything about it. I did when I was younger, but I've kind of, like, reached a point where I'm, like, I don't need to be ashamed of that. It was out of my control. Right. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Good to hear. So, I asked your mom about this, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your dad. Like, how would you describe him? What were some of the things about him that stand out in your memories of him? My dad and I, growing up, we were pretty close. Mm. He was obsessed with hockey, specifically the (laughs) LA Kings. Um, So from a very young age, I think from the age of like two or three, I started going to hockey games with him Mm. and it just kind of like continued throughout life. So that was like a really big like bonding thing for us. He's like a very, can be a very passionate person and like a very loyal person. But Mm. at the same time, it also makes him a very stubborn person. Mm -hmm. And he did tend to be a little hot headed. So it was interesting because me and Fortune kind of have those same traits where Mm -hmm. we all have to always be right Mm -hmm. so it definitely created some like lines (laughs) growing up right and your mom said that music was like a big deal in your family it was yeah yeah I learned a lot of my like music tastes like coming from like the 60s or the Mm -hmm. 80s or the 90s like rock anything like that definitely came from my dad he was like really big on records we have an alphabet like what is that word alphabetized yeah record collection um and we have a really nice record player it was Mm. just like music was a really big thing in our family like a big like so he could teach us about it and we could have further understandings and he'd dive into the meanings of it which was interesting because I don't think I would have ever listened to music like that if it wasn't for him yeah that's cool so what do you remember about him getting sick do you remember being told and or like do you remember how much you really understood or didn't understand about what that meant or do you have any, sort of a second part of that question is, do you have any um, advice for parents on how to handle those conversations? So I actually remember, remember it like very, very distinctly. I was nine and a half and it was like September, I believe. Yeah, it was September. My brother and I had come from home, like from school, we would walk home. So it was like a very casual day. We walk home and 
my dad and my mom were sitting on the couch and my dad looked pretty emotional, which was very new to me because I'd never really see any other emotions besides like anger or happiness mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they sat us down and they were like, your dad has stage two stomach cancer. Um, and I had no idea what that was. I was just right. starting to learn about like cells <laughs> and stuff in school. So I was trying to like figure out what cancer was. My brother, he was only five at the time, so mm-hmm. he really had no idea yeah. like, what that meant. And I don't think I really understood the weight of it either. I think it was like, okay, well, if he's sick, we'll just help him get over being sick. Like, right, right, we can right. just fix it. Like, everything's fixable. Right. Um, but they did wait about two months to tell us. Mm-hmm. Um, they found out, I think, in, like, July, sometime over the summer, and they didn't tell us for a long time. I think it was just more of, like, that let's figure out how bad it can be and how we break it to our kids um and honestly I feel like in that situation there's no easy way to tell your kids that one of their parents might possibly die um and so I feel like the way that my mom handled it was definitely to the best of her ability Mm. especially never handling a situation like that before but I think just like trying to be as like gentle as possible and honestly just fully explaining it like that's one thing I wish that was done that like the extent of it was fully explained to me Mm. um even though I was young I think I could have handled it I think a little bit more if I knew what stage two stomach cancer actually meant and how it grew and different things like that yeah I agree with you I mean I have such a similar feeling um what I think is so interesting is that when I asked your mom that question she remembered waiting but she didn't really remember the conversation. And I think from for me, being a parent, but also knowing what it was like to be that kid, I totally got that she wouldn't remember that conversation because yeah. it's traumatic as a parent to have to break that kind yeah. of news to your kids. But being on the other side of it, remembering what it was like to be on the other side of it, I too remember the conversation really clearly. Um, I think most kids do remember that conversation clearly because it's sort of a your life suddenly kind of takes a turn that you never saw coming, but you really remember that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember a lot of like the big conversations that we had growing up just because it was very like a very big pivotal moment in my life where everything just changed in like an instant. So I have like a pretty I would say decent memory I feel like there's some fuzziness throughout the cancer but mm-hmm. I have like a pretty good memory about everything that happened yeah those conversations yeah and I agree with you too that I always felt looking back like I could have handled more mm-hmm. I think as parents we do worry about too much information and therapists often advise parents like just give them what they can handle you don't want to inundate them with conversation with too much information and I'm sure there's a lot of research and wisdom that goes with that but from a kid's perspective as a kid I know I always felt like I would have liked to know more yeah I would have liked more information and you wouldn't necessarily have to dole it out in that initial conversation it could be the next day or a week later you kind of just keep kind of putting it out there yeah that would be my advice to parents yeah if if I were in this situation definitely don't like put it all on them at first but in my opinion I think as a kid if I were to be given more information over time and the extent of it I think I could have properly then figured out how to prepare for it because as a kid I was I mean my mom says like I was a very mature kid and I feel like I am like 
no one ever thinks I'm the age that I am. Everyone always thinks I'm older. And so I think I could have handled more information, but I also see like not wanting to freak me out and mm-hmm. like wanting to make it seem like everything was as like calm, cool and collected as it could possibly be. Right, right. Well, that's, a, I mean, I hate to keep talking about your mom, but that's another thing she said was, you know, as much as we wanted to make it seem like things are going to be okay, kids can feel yeah. underneath all that, your real fears, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, she she talked a lot about the fear that was around, um, which is so normal in that kind of situation. You're, you don't know what's going to happen, so there's a lot of fear. But um, I do think kids can feel that, and so it's like almost the more information, the better, because that helps you understand what is all this fear. If yeah. everything's supposed to be fine, why am I feeling all this fear? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you remember about the period of your dad being sick? Like, does anything stand out as being more difficult than you expected or? It definitely got worse over time just because my dad fell into a very deep depression. I feel like as one would finding out that they could die. But the first like strong memory I have of it affecting me was my 10th birthday, which was like two, like a month, two months after we found out. And it's when he was going through his first major surgery. And so he was put in the ICU after his surgery and kids over the age of 10 could go and visit. Um, And I just remember walking in and he had so many wires coming out of him and so many different IVs and catheters and He was, I think, either in a medical coma or he just hadn't woken up yet. Um, But he had, like, a breathing tube and, like, the whole nine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, like, as a young kid, seeing that, it, like, terrified me. And then having, like, the nurses and my mom and my aunt be like, oh, well, like, you can talk to him. Like, he can hear you. And then, like, I just remember standing there, like, I think I was wearing, like, a pink shirt with some leggings and just, like, how do I talk to this person who's not going to respond like what do you mean he can hear me he there's no way he can hear me he's hooked up to all these machines and that's when it really sunk in like okay this is a lot Mm. bigger than I thought it was you know as he got like a little bit sicker and then he'd go into remission and we'd all celebrate and it'd be awesome and then he'd get the cancer again and or he would have a blockage because they had to do so much like changes within his body and take pieces from his colon to rebuild his stomach and his esophagus and all these different things so a lot of the time I would like stay up really late with my dad watching like Deadliest Catch or some like Alaskan Frontier show or like Mm. some like show just like reality tv shows that are super cheesy and dumb um but we would just sit there and talk or like sit in silence but the older I got the more depressed he got and the more he kind of started putting on me and there'd be some nights where he would just start crying and be like Maddie like you have to take care of them when I'm like no longer here and I remember like the first time it happened I think I was 11 and a half or 12 um and he like broke down it was like you have to take care of your brother your mom's not going to be able to do this and I just remember sitting there being like what do you mean I have to take care of him like you're gonna be here like what do you like yeah. I'm 12 what am I gonna do for them like I don't have a job right. I don't right. I'm in elementary school I don't right. know what to do for you um yeah and so as those conversations got more frequent it definitely like the anxiety and the stress started to really creep in and kind of control a lot of it mm. um and then like his anger obviously was a really big thing where he would just get really angry and we'd all just 
like have to like sit there and just kind of like deal with it and put up with it Mm -hmm. but then obviously my brother being so young he just never knew how to react and so his reaction would be a lot different than my reaction in those situations um but yeah like I definitely still have like memories with my dad um remember throughout his sickness like I remember the first time he went into remission we decided to go to Hawaii Mm. to celebrate and then about a couple months after that um year after that he got sick again Mm. and it was just that feeling of like but you were okay like aren't you supposed to stay okay like why does this keep happening yeah so again it's like not really understanding what what does remission mean like well, remission means you're all better, but really it doesn't. Yeah, it means you're better for now. Yeah, Yeah. and I never understood that growing up because it was just kind of explained to me as your dad doesn't have cancer anymore, he's okay now. So then me and Fortune would take it literally and be like, okay, he's good now, like we're in Hawaii, like this is so cool. Everything's great, yeah. And then it wouldn't be good again. And I think he went into remission like two or three times, If I I think it was twice if Mm -hmm. I remember correctly. Um, So that was just, like, really weird to go through, like, the ups and downs of that and, like, trying to wrap my head around it. So I remember, like, doing some of my own research because I just felt like I wasn't getting the full story. And I'm very much a curious person who needs to know all of the information. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started doing some of my own research on it, and that definitely helped me kind of understand more. But it definitely made me sadder once Mm -hmm. I fully understood it all. But in my opinion, I'd rather know everything and figure out how to react to it and deal with it than know nothing and have it come as like a shock yeah yeah uh when you say that about your dad saying like you have to take care of them I mean how did you how do you think about that now honestly um at the time I took it very literal Mm -hmm. and so and growing up my mom had to work obviously a lot Mm -hmm. so it was kind of me and fortune against the world for a little bit Mm. And I took that role very seriously, and I took that, like, mothering role very seriously. So when he would say these things to me, I'd be like, okay, like, I got you. Like, I'll take care of him. I'll make sure everything's in order. Mm -hmm. But looking back at it now, I think I'm finally reaching the anger stage of my grief, even Mm -hmm. after all of the years, like, these years. And, like, I'm very angry at him Mm -hmm. for putting that on me. And I understand that he was going through something hard, but as my parent, I needed him to reassure me and just spend time with me and not put his anxiety and his depression onto me and his anger onto me because it just, I didn't know how to handle it. And I just wanted to make him feel better. But obviously a 12 year old is no, is not going to be able to take care of a family. I mean, well they can, but in my position, I wasn't equipped for that whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to put on a kid. I agree Mm -hmm. with you. And to me, that really sounds like his depression talking. Yeah. Yeah. He just, I think he also was just very angry at the world and was very much so like, why me? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just really hard for him to get out of that mindset, which granted it would be hard for anyone. He was going through a lot, but I don't think he ever took into account how it was affecting his kids. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he really ever took into account how him putting this on me like I took very seriously because I have grown up with very high anxiety. Mm -hmm. So when I have my 50-year-old father sitting there crying to me being like, you need to be able to feed them and take care of them and your mom's going to need help and support and you need to look out for your brother. Like I then took it upon myself and created myself to be this person where everybody else became 
bigger than me and mm. they became first and then it was me right and so obviously that's like a habit i'm still trying to break because mm -hmm. i just grew up that way like for the past like mm -hmm. six years it's just kind of always been like that so yeah. yeah it's interesting to watch how like that kind of affected the rest of the way i think about life and even with friends like it went beyond my brother like right. everyone always calls me the mom of the group or like mm -hmm. maddie you're such a mom like you're in mom mode right now and then i have to like get back to that sense of like right like i'm not in charge of you you're not my responsibility i can go out and live my life the way i want to live it without worrying what you're yeah doing <laughs> yeah I just interviewed Hope Edelman and she works a lot with, with women who've lost their mother at a young age and talks a lot about how adults around people in that situation will often say you're so mature. And her point is that the, the situation forces you to grow up in a way that isn't really you know, age appropriate or, or you're not really ready for. And so when the adults around you are reinforcing that by saying, oh, you're so mature, in a way, it's a way of adults kind of being in denial about what you are going through. But yeah. it's sort of like saying, oh, you can handle this because you're so mature. Yeah, that was like my entire childhood. Like even before my dad got sick, I was always told like, you were such a strong, independent, mature girl, like you can handle anything. And so it created this idea in my head that I had to constantly be that independent, mature, young person. And it just kind of really spiraled out of control mm -hmm. when my dad got sick, especially because I had a lot of anger towards my mom because my mom would sometimes like just needed to take her own break, which mm -hmm. is completely acceptable. But at right. the time being like 13, I was like, I need my mom. And I didn't, I felt like I didn't have her. And mm -hmm. so Obviously, our relationship is improving, but growing up, it was very much so like I was Fortune's kind of carrier, and that's how Fortune kind of thinks about it still, and mm. I'm trying to help him break that because yeah. obviously I'm not his mom, <laughs> um, and my mom did do a lot for us, but emotionally, she was very kind of checked out a little bit, mm -hmm. which I don't have anger at her anymore. Like, I don't have that anger towards her anymore because I realized she was also losing her husband yeah. and going through all of these different things that she's never had to deal with before. Yeah. But when I was younger, I just couldn't look at it that way. I was like, you're supposed to be here for me, but mm. I'm here for me. And like, it's definitely like a mindset that I'm trying to break that like, I don't have to be that independent person. I tend to like push people away and be like, no, like I can do it. Like, yeah. this is my thing. I like, I got it. Yeah. And so I'm learning to more like accept the help and support that people want to give me. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, that's another thing that I was learning from Hope Edelman is that a lot of her clients who come to her decades after the loss, um, one thing that she sees a lot of is a kind of hyper independence. Mm -hmm. And I see my own tendency toward it, but I didn't ever really, being a youngest child, I think also being the older child, you yeah. have that a lot. Being the youngest, I was so used to being taken care of and other people doing things for me that I kind of just kept going through life, like expecting other people to do yeah. things for me. <laughs> um, how much do you, you mention your brother, but how much do you and Fortune like talk about it now? And how much did you talk about it while it was sort of all happening? While it was happening, Fortune was so young and it was just kind of pushed upon me that we have to shelter him and protect him from as much as we can. So we would have those conversations, but Fortune never fully 
understood what was going on Mm -hmm. and we tried to keep his life as normal as possible so it was very much so like like, oh like come play video games with dad and they would do that Mm -hmm. or do you want to go to a hockey game with me and dad and like or like soccer is today like we'll all go to your game and so my dad would never do those things with him but me and my mom would and so we tried to just make him feel as normal as possible which then I think put a lot of stress on me because I had to pretend that everything was okay with this child when I knew that it wasn't going to be okay in the end. Mm. Now, my brother and I are still very, very close. Like, that's my best friend. But um, Mm. we don't talk about it a whole lot outside of, like, joking ways because Mm -hmm. Fortune and I have developed a very deflecting humor, Uh which I think is pretty common. But we just deflect the hell out of it. We're like, that's, nope, (laughs) we don't have a dad. That's funny. Um, (laughs) And so trying to have serious conversations with him about it now usually end kind of abruptly and I think a big part of it is I don't think he remembers a whole lot because after we have had some deep conversations about it and his memories of it are very I think fabricated Mm -hmm. from what me and my mom have told him right and just things that he like think has happened and then I'm like fortune that never Mm -hmm. that never happened like Mm -hmm. he he wasn't there that was that was me and that was mom that were there like he wasn't there wow and so, and he just doesn't really like to talk about it a whole lot, I think, because he's now 14. Mm. So he just started high school and stuff. And I think he wants to try to feel like as normal or like regular yeah. as possible to connect with other people. Sure. Um, and he's like in that high school age where everything has to be like perfect for him. So I try to bring it up. And if he doesn't want to talk about it, we just move on. Mm-hmm. Some nights he wants to talk about it. But when, I mean, growing up, he did sometimes like he'd reach this point of anger where he would just break down and Mm -hmm. he would just like come into my mom's room and sit with her and stuff. But that honestly hasn't really happened since my dad has passed. Mm -hmm. I think when I was in college, it happened a couple of times. But ever since I've been back and when I would come to visit and stuff, fortune never was really like that. So talking about it now with him is definitely a little bit harder, but I think it's just because he doesn't want to accept Mm. still I think he's still processing himself and I think he's not I think he's still kind of in like that denial anger stage and Mm. I think a big part of it is because he doesn't remember a whole lot of it Mm -hmm. and he wants to but he just can't yet right right it's funny yeah you've brought up the the whole like stage theory which is um you know such a big part of our culture is these ideas of like oh you have to go through this stage and then you get to this stage and I think most people now believe that really there it's as if one gets you to the next yeah you know but I like that people are so aware of that anger is associated with the grief and that acceptance is associated with it and depression is associated with it and denial is associated with it and they're all kind of mixed up together and I think you know you you kind of go through phases of all of these things it's kind of more like a big soup yeah like I remember when my mom first told me that he had two weeks Mm -hmm. and I have this thing I think it's called gallows laugh gallows laugh where I just on the floor laughing like (laughs) she comes in I come home from school she's in the kitchen she's like you know how your dad went to the ER well we found out he has two weeks and I was doubled over laughing like could not control it and like I had tears in my eyes from laughing so hard and she was like looking at me like I was the craziest person in the world um And then I started getting talked to about the stages of grief. And it was very much so like, okay, you're going to feel this, and then you're going to feel this, and then you're going to feel this. And who was that coming from? Uh, Just like 
kind of like different people, uh, like some therapists that I was kind of seeing and my mom a little bit. I think just we didn't understand that how big the stages of grief can be and how out of order they truly are. So just I kind of thought it was going to be like, okay, so I'll accept (laughs) that I might be in denial and then I'll be sad and then I'll be angry. Mm. But in reality, it was like not like that at all i went through denial first where for like the first month after my dad passed i did not tell anyone in my life Mm. people would ask me at school how's your dad i'd be like he's okay he's getting better like Mm. i was fully lying to the people around Mm. my life i would wake up in the morning and be like he's gonna come home from the hospital today and then i'd be like oh no like he's not coming Mm. home and so that went on for like a good like three and a half four months yeah Um, And my friend Ellis eventually found out because her mom had reached out to mine and was like, how's Brad doing? Maddie says he's okay. And my mom was like, Mm. Brad passed. Like he's, what do you mean? Yeah. And so that's how it kind of like came out, which I was at the time very angry at my mom about that. But looking back, like it had to be done. I needed that kind of like check of like, Maddie, you can't live in this bubble of denial. Like he's gone and he's not coming back and you need the support from your friends right now yeah and i was just refusing it even after they found out i refused all support it was very much so like i can do this alone i've done everything up to this point alone i can process this alone mm. Mm. i think it's self-protective mm-hmm. you know i think in a way it's like it takes a long time for our brains to understand this new reality especially at such a young age that this person who's been in your life since you were born is gone for good that is really a hard thing for your young brain to kind of yeah. get to. So it's almost like the denial is a way of allowing your brain to slowly build back all those little synapses or connections yeah. or whatever it takes for it to understand this person is gone for good. Yeah. And I think another part of grief that no one really talks about, I think in younger kids is a self-destruction part of it Mm -hmm. which I think can play into the depression and anger part of it but I know um when I first found out I definitely like kind of spiraled with anxiety but then the older I got I entered this whole self-destruction mode where it was like well I don't have a dad and like everything sucks and like I was really depressed and had a lot of anxiety and I wasn't talking about it with anyone so I just started like self-destructing like just making all of these choices that I knew were going to affect me in my future Mm. but I just didn't care yeah um and it was like a hard line of like being self-aware but then not really caring that about that like okay like I'm gonna go do this knowing that it's gonna get me in trouble Mm -hmm. and knowing that I'm gonna be really upset about it afterwards but I'm still gonna go do it because that's what I want and I'm just pissed at the world and yeah 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 I really relate to that. (laughs) What do you think changed where you sort of stopped doing that? I mean, I went through a lot, even outside of my dad. I then had my own kind of set of trauma throughout high school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I ended up in like a residential for adolescents um, when I was 15. And I was in there uh, for like two months, Mm -hmm. which was really beneficial Mm -hmm. for me in the end. Um, that's good to hear yeah it was at first I was like I don't want to do this like fuck this like this is terrible but um in the end it it did really help me and it put a lot of things into perspective for me but honestly I would say it wasn't until this last couple of months Mm -hmm. where I was doing better throughout my senior year and throughout the first semester of college and then 
I kind of fell in with some really shitty people Mm. who normalized really shitty things for me. Mm. And it just took me back to this place of like, okay, well, like craving that friend group because a lot of my friends didn't want to be friends with the girl who didn't have a dad or friends with the girl who had Mm. depression. And a lot of them left me because of that and didn't want me in their lives, Mm. either because I was too difficult or too emotional or too erratic sometimes Mm. and so I kind of for a really long time have craved this friend group and this like my mom likes to call it my village Mm -hmm. and so I've really like craved having my own village and so I met these people my second semester and it just was all around a shit show like just absolutely terrible for Mm -hmm. myself and the people around me and it wasn't until I met my friend Marcus Mm. and I became close with my friends Leanne and Tabitha Mm. um, and G and a couple other people where I realized that this is not normal Mm. and this is not okay and the people I'm hanging out with are doing more damage for good and they're not helping me in any way and so it brought me a completely new perspective. Like I kind of got that and then after meeting all of these people I realized like I want to have a more positive outlook on life. I no longer want to view things as like everything's going to be shit and it's never going to be better. I now like to view it of like if the door is locked and there's no windows, you make your own windows Mm. and there's always a way to get out of it. Mm. And I like that more. And the other day I had my friend Kyle actually tell me like your life is only like five or ten percent of it, but the other 90 percent is how you react to Mm. it and how you're going to handle that now, which I think is something that has stuck with me for a little bit. I like it. Yeah. No, I love that you're bringing up friends, and I <laughs> I keep talking about this book I wrote, right? And it's it's really about the process of what happens after a parent dies, but so much about the book, the book is really centered on this one friendship. Mm-hmm. And in the book, this isn't what really happened, but it happened in different ways for me yeah. in reality. But the, the friend really saves her, or she feels like the friend really saves her. And I feel like that is something that parents don't see when a parent um, is caring for a kid who's grieving. You know, you just see them after school. You see them at night. You see them when they come home. Or if they're in college, you only see them when they're home on vacation. And you don't really realize how the friendships that you have at this age really are everything. And I do feel like if you're someone who's been through the loss of a parent, you're grieving, Um, those friendships can really save your life. Yeah, Yeah. I definitely, I love to give specifically that group of people a lot of credit because I was in a very dark place and they helped me get out of it. But I also have started to give myself credit because really the only person who can save you is you. You can be as, you could have the greatest people who are helping you with your depression or the greatest people who are helping with you, like whatever you're going through. But at the end of the day, you have to make that decision of I want to live my life differently and I want to have different perspectives. And it does help when you have good people around you and supporting you to make you realize that. But like at the end of the day, I, I believe that like I definitely you chose pulled, them. Yeah, I chose them. They mm-hmm. chose me and we together got yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah, but it does sound like you've got some pretty amazing friends. I do. The friend group I have now is I'm very much so in love with them. Like, they're my people. (laughs) Like, those, that's my village right there. They're my people. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing, too, I think, um, when you find people that really know how to see you in your pain and see what you need to hear. Yeah. 
That's pretty special. Yeah, yeah. I think I also have this best friend down here, Charlotte. She mm-hmm. went to Odyssey. Yeah. Um, and I've known her obviously since I was like four. And mm-hmm. I think even though I have these amazing people in San Marcos, I think down here, Charlotte is the one person that I can talk to about this grief. And even though she has no idea what it feels like for me, she'll never sit there and give me the pity eyes or the mm-hmm. like, I'm so sorry for your loss. She'll just let me talk about it and be like, okay, so what do you want to do now? And how do you want to approach this situation? Mm. How is it fully making you feel? And it's, I definitely have some really good people in my life right now. And I'm very happy about the way that everything is kind of playing out. Yeah, yeah. Like just going back to when you first weren't telling anyone, I think there's also a lot of power in the sameness Mm -hmm. and you feel so comforted that to just do your regular stuff with your regular friends, even if this huge thing has happened and it's sort of this almost like the ground beneath you has been taken yeah. away. But you're like, I want to go watch a movie. I want to go play that game we always yeah. play. I remember very distinctly two hours after my dad had passed. So he was in hospice. He was in our dining room. Um, and it, we he had been there for like four or five days. So we were kind of like, okay, he's got to be coming to the end mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they So my grandma took my brother to go play soccer at the park. And they were like, Maddie, come talk to your dad. Like, tell him that it's okay. Tell him he can let go. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean tell him he can let go? Like, mm. can't he just do it? Like, mm-hmm. why do I have to sit here? So I sat next to his bed and I held his hand and I was like, I hate you so much. I hate you so much. Like, you have put us through so much unintentionally and I hate you so much for saying the things you've said and doing the things you do. But at the same time, I love you so much and I don't want you to go anywhere, but like you need to let go. Like you were in pain Mm. and you can't do this. And Mm. then he took his last breath and I watched the whole chest rise and then fall Mm. in the nurse. And I was still talking. Like I didn't really, like I watched it happen, but I didn't process that he had actually just died. Like I just thought that was him breathing. Yeah. And the nurse came over and like touched my hand and was like, he's gone. Mm. And so I walked over to the couch and my first reaction is I laughed. <laughs> I'm just sitting on the couch <laughs> laughing and some of my dad's friends are there watching me like, like this woman is actually crazy. <laughs> but then about after like a minute of laughing, I just start sobbing. Yeah. And then about an hour and a half to two hours after that, or no, my brother came home. We played Minecraft. We were mm-hmm. like, let's make a grave <laughs> for dad in Minecraft. <laughs> and that. then about an hour after Minecraft, I actually went to my neighbor's house and that I think that was the first person I had told um she had asked me how's your dad and I just looked at her very casually and was like oh he died she was like what and I was like yeah like two hours ago like it's cool like it doesn't matter and then I like changed the topic and then after that I didn't tell anyone else I was in complete denial after that like I think that was the only moment that I had verbalized that he was dead and then I didn't do it for like two or three months after that yeah that's just kind of extraordinary, Maddie, when you said, I hate you so much. I love you so much. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Whew. <laughs> that really gets me. I mean, I think that is so profound, really. I love that, like, your the laughter and tears are so close. I yeah. mean, it's all, you know, we're, we put words on these things to, like, differentiate them. But really, it's all a big soup, right? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it is. It's a lot of feelings in a lot of different directions. Um, but that your clarity around saying that to your dad, I mean, I think 
at first when you told me that people were saying, oh, you need to tell him time to let go. I'm like, what? Why the? Yeah. <laughs> Why does the 14 year old have to do that? <laughs> My God. But in a way, do you look back on that as a moment of that you're proud of? I mean, I've realized that I've kind of reached my anger stage now mm-hmm. of this whole thing of it. So right now I'm definitely kind of have some anger about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted nothing. Like, I didn't want to be there. I didn't mm-hmm. want to watch him pass. Like, that was not something I wanted to do. But I am kind of grateful that I got to have that last moment with him. Yeah. I just wish that I didn't have to be standing, like, directly next to him as he took his last breath and Mm. I don't think it really set in for me that I like watched my father die it wasn't that he just died I I, like watched him deteriorate as a human being and then I watched him take that last breath and for a while I never really thought about it like that it was just always like oh yeah my dad had cancer and then I started talking about it with my friend Marcus a little bit more over the summer and he's never experienced Mm -hmm. anything remotely like that Mm -hmm. and he was like well Maddie like you do realize that like you physically watched him like die and change completely as a human being and Mm -hmm. you watched him take that last breath like of course you're going to be angry and of course you're going to have a hard time fully accepting that because I don't think you fully realized that yeah and ever since him and I've had that conversation I've really been thinking about it like he's right like I I didn't fully accept it for the past five years that I've just been downplaying it for so long as like it's just a casual like well everyone dies and like Mm -hmm. he just happened to die earlier than most people and right now I'm kind of viewing it as like a no like that's actually like kind of really traumatic to be like 14 and like watching that go down and have these people expect these different things from me because I'm such a strong mature daughter and Mm -hmm. I can do all these different things and go through these different things when in reality I just wanted to be protected yeah I just wanted someone to hold me and like coddle me and say like it's gonna be okay like yeah. I just kind of wanted that more and I'm kind of realizing that now mm. and like accepting that and being angry about it but not letting myself sit in it mm. because obviously my mom and everyone else in my life had no idea how to handle that situation right. so we were all just doing the best we could with what we had and yeah. with what different therapists were telling us and right. obviously everyone has a different opinion on what to do for your kids so yeah. It definitely, like, I feel like you can always say I could have handled that better. I could have done that differently. But it's just the fact that, like, you did what you did and it's in the past. And everyone in the future will recover from it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, everything you're saying is so, um, I think, great for people to hear. Because it's, there is no perfect way. I mean, I, you know, always regretted not seeing my mother um, in the hospital. She just went to the hospital, died, never saw her body again. Mm-hmm. And I think there is wisdom in kids being able to see the body. But um, I think you're right in that, like, you being the one to sort of let him let go is a lot to put on a 14-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. <laughs> Um, do you find, have you ever, like I did this when I was your age and I'm just curious if you think about it or do it. Um, but I used to talk to my mom quite a bit. Like I would just, sometimes I'd be yelling at her. Sometimes I'd be crying to her. Sometimes I would just like, but you know, like after she died, I would just find myself just like talking to her. Um, I definitely did that. Um, 
I would text my dad a lot before mm-hmm. my mom finally just like canceled his yeah. number and stuff. For the longest time, I would text him updates. Like I remember went to, when I went to my first, uh, no, my second homecoming dance. I texted him photos of it. I was like, look at how, what we did. Like my first prom, I texted him photos. But my first boyfriend, like the first love I ever had, or mm. we're going to call him that. Yeah. Um, I, I sent photos of him to my dad and I've sent photos of some of my friends because my mom like just canceled the line. So like he's gotten photos of Kyle and mm. Marcus and all yeah. these and like Leanne and like all these different people in my life. That's and it great. makes me feel like a little bit more connected, just kind of like, Hey, mm-hmm. like, here's how my life is going. Here's my updates. Here are the people that I'm hanging out with. Like, mm. what have you been up to? <laughs> Type <laughs> What's of like thing. What's it like? Um, <laughs> yeah. I definitely think there's been some nights where, like, I've, like, kind of cried. And I, I don't think I ever really verbalize it, like, out loud. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, in my head, for sure, I've just kind of been like, why? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. Just why? Yeah, I, I, I think that connection only get stronger yeah you know the grief is kind of in the way of it and I think with time as the grief kind of gets smaller and smaller and smaller piece of your life the the more that connection can grow and yeah get stronger so I'm glad to hear that it's already pretty strong <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess I want to zoom out a little bit and we've talked a lot about his illness and when he died and you've talked a bit about what it's been like ever since, but what would you say about, like, how are you thinking about your grief as a whole now? I feel like I'm, like, still kind of figuring that part out, but I kind of view my grief as something that I put in a little lockbox and buried so very deeply in my brain, and it was never grieving. It was, no, like, I'm not grieving. Like, I'm over it. Like, five months after he passed, I was like, I'm over it. Like, I'm not grieving. And then the older I got, the more I realized, like, I say the older I got, like, I'm not 18. But (laughs) the more I realized, like, okay, like, grief isn't, I just, like, didn't believe it was an actual thing. Mm. It was, and now I'm at this point where, like, no, like, it is a thing. And I'm realizing that I did go through the grieving process. And Mm -hmm. I just kept telling myself I wasn't and that Mm -hmm. it's not real. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Grief to me is a very interesting thing because it's, kind of put in like you said earlier to those categories and it's very much so like you're going to feel this and then you'll feel that and then you'll cry like this and then you'll be angry like that Mm. and then eventually after a year you'll be fine Mm. and it's like no I think grief can be a process that goes on for 20 plus years I think everyone handles it in their own way some people can grieve a little bit faster but I honestly don't believe that you can speed up the grieving process or ever fully recover from a situation like that like I think you can come to peace with it and to come to terms with it and accept it and be okay with it but I don't think that feeling of grief ever really goes away I think it's something that is always kind of there it's just a matter of how strongly you you feel it at certain points in your life like I know in around February 21st when he passed I always feel strong amounts of grief and sadness and Mm -hmm. anger but I know that that that'll pass as well and because I'm now accepting that this is something that is real and these emotions are real and it's okay to feel these things definitely gotten a lot easier to like say like no like I am grieving and like I have had grief and I do have grief Mm -hmm. and so I think just kind of coming to terms with it and letting yourself believe that it's okay 
to feel those things and it's okay to feel that way and that it's everything is a process and everything is going to take time and you have to let yourself take that time to heal and fully come to terms with it because it's not going to happen in six months or two years it's going to happen so long over time like I don't think I'm ever going to I don't think I'm over my grieving process yet I think I'm probably going to go through it for another three years Mm -hmm. four years Mm -hmm. maybe longer because I it took me so long to reach that point of it's okay to grieve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so um, good to talk to you. Yeah. It's really amazing um, to hear your perspective. Um, Thank you. And, um, and yeah, I look forward to seeing how it all goes in the future. Thank you. Yeah. thanks so much for listening and for all the wonderful feedback it means a lot to me when people say they're learning a lot from this podcast because i am too (laughs) um i'd love your feedback in the form of stars and written reviews on apple podcasts or on my Substack, which you can find in the show notes um but it also really helps me when you pass the podcast along to friends that really helps get the word out and as always i want to thank josephine wiggs for the music it's from her album refall 